Welcome to season six of the RAG podcast. Now, for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. And this show has been around since early 2019. And every week, we are obsessed with finding out how the world's most successful and innovative recruitment agencies and their founders have got to where they are today. In season six, alongside the founder's story and the inside information of that business, I also want to focus on the reality of today's economy. There is so much noise about this inevitable recession that we find ourselves in right now. And where it's going to go, is it really having an impact on the recruitment sector? Are they seeing any change in job flow? Are they seeing any change in candidate control or activity? What is going on? I want to find out. So every single week, I want to forget the propaganda, forget the noise. I'm going to speak to a real life recruitment owner and find out what is going on in their business. I will bring it to you every single Wednesday from 12 o'clock across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast on this week's show. I am finally joined by a good friend of mine and client, James Layton. James is the founder of Anderson James, a specialist construction and property recruitment firm headquartered in Manchester with over 30 people operating in both contingent RPO markets, public and private sector and in the US. As I said, James is finally on the show. We've been talking about it for such a long time. We've known each other for best part of three to four years now. Um, I'm delighted I finally had him on because I didn't actually know the story of him building the business. Now, whilst the business launched in 2015 and is effectively eight years old, the business didn't really get moving until 2017, 2018. Um, so we had at least two to three years at the beginning where they didn't get the business moving for a number of reasons. Now, what James told me in this episode is the in-depth issues that they faced, the different steps they've gone to grow to where they are, and he broken down exactly how he would get to where he is now in two years. So for anyone wanting to know how you can build a business that's eight years old in two years, you need to listen to this episode. He gives some really clear advice, practical examples all the way through the show as to how a startup founder or someone trying to grow to 30 and, and, and above can do it in record time. So without further ado, James, welcome to the RAG podcast. Hello, mate. How are you? All right, it's about time we got you on the show. I know, I was going to say, I've been fucking knocking on the door long enough. I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you. What I wanted to do was I wanted to do an episode with Alderson James and I wanted to do yeah. it with Anderson James. That was what I was listen, That is crazy, listen. though. Anyhow, last week, James Wardle. This week, James Layton. Two very similar named companies with very uh, different stories, I imagine. Well, we'll see. <laughs> well, anyway, but look, I know you well. I'm sure half the people listening also won't. So do us a favour. Give us a bird's eye view open introduction of you and the company today, location, headcount, all that kind of stuff. And we're going to go back, right? So hit us up. Yeah, perfect. So James Layton, founder of Anderson James, uh, headquartered in Manchester. We are predominantly a property and construction business. Um, most of our business up until last year was in the UK. We've uh, diversified now and there's a lot of that in America. Mm -hmm. So we've got a, a global presence now um, through three businesses. We also added in the pandemic um, an RPO business, which now serves mm -hmm. kind of a few big clients in the in the industry, uh, which has given us a nice footing really to to really accelerate our growth over the last couple of years. Love it, love it. And the business started in 2015, right? 
Yeah, so starting in 2015, mm-hmm. weirdly, local to you, uh, we start. I started with a business partner um, that was based in Nottingham. So we actually started the business in Ecky Road in Sheffield. Um, I know, I know you said, yeah. And then great quickly spot. moved over to Manchester. Yeah, it is a great spot, to be fair. Great. Well, I, where I am right now, my new house is basically up the top of Beckersall Road and then to, yep. take a little left. Do you remember, do you, do you ever go to the Prince of Wales pub? Do you ever go there? No, I can't. We were down up. by what was it called? Champs? Is that is that yeah, a pub you're down right on that? That's proper right like at the bottom. The road, and then yeah, yeah. you drive up. There's a roundabout, Hunters Bar. You keep going up that hill, and then you take a left about um, half a mile up. Take a left. I'm just right. there. <laughs> nice. So uh, great spot, great spot. Anyway, so you started in 2015. So what we eight years in, um, but you were in the industry for ten years leading up to starting your own business, right? How did your career evolve? Because you moved, you you worked for a couple, you worked for Michael Page, you worked for some different organizations. How, how would you describe the trajectory of your career pre being a founder? Yeah, yeah, fan. So, I mean, just take you back a little bit. So, Burnley lad, as you can hear, Burnley fan. Uh, we're just talking offline about that. Um, I sort of went into sales, didn't do uni, didn't do college, went into sales straight from, from, from school. Um, about 21. 2021 went down to London, met a rectorette, mm-hmm. got five offers. The usual story fell into a recruitment role. I was doing SAP in Germany for uh, for a business down there. They, they Did the Germans understand well. the Burnley lad? Or what? I don't think so. No, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. Uh, it was all online, mate. We, we use Zing or whatever it's called. I don't know if that's yeah, still yeah. around now. But um, so I think like. part of my journey was just learning the ropes from doing that. So the contract SAP Germany loved it. To be fair, did really well promoted quite a few times um had a kid so I, I, not in expected london. obviously but at 22 I had a kid and i always tell this story to, to yeah yeah in london yeah so at 22 was like shit like i'm too young to have a kid mm. i think the first recruitment job i had i was looking at this before was, it was 12 grand so i burnt the box couldn't afford my rent wasn't paying my bills wasn't paying council i was just like how do you live off this kind of money down there then i had a kid so through that process, ended up moving closer and closer to home. So did a stint in Birmingham for a com- for a company and ended up in Manchester, back in, in Manchester with Michael Page, managing a property and construction team. I suppose that like from a trajectory point of view, at some point in that journey, three or four years in, I, I moved into property and construction. Um, a client moved into the industry that was a technology client and I just sort of transitioned into that sector. Right. Um, Went to Michael Page for a period, realized all of the things that I didn't want in a career, and I knew at that point I was going to set up my own company. So, How old are you at yeah. this point? Uh, so when I left Michael Page, I was 28. Right. And what happened with you? So you had a kid in London at 22. What was the story? Were you, did you Was the kid come back to Manchester with you? Or? Yeah, yeah. So, so with my ex. So I uh, had the kid. Stayed with my ex for four or five years. We, we moved, as I said, tried to start moving up the country. It didn't work out. So I have my little and now joint custody. But um, it, it, it sort of really crystallized how much money I needed. I mean, you're going through this journey right now, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it crystallized quite quickly how much money you need to have children. So And, and especially if you add the London dynamic to that, it was a, it was a where, tough time. Where does your ex and the kid live now? Uh, Clitheroe, so like Preston way. Is she from that way as well? Yeah, yeah. So she's from that way. I'm from Burnley. Yeah. And I live in Manchester and, and we're split custody. Yeah. Well, it's handy, isn't it? My ex was from London, right? And I always think to myself, yeah. if I'd have had a kid with her, I don't know where I'd be now. I mean, I probably wouldn't have left London. I would have had to stay and my life would be going in a completely different direction. So it's good that you've managed to 
move up north and she's wanting to be it's a lot of driving mate i must be honest it's an hour and 20 minutes there and back so it's it's a lot of driving you you put yourself in stockport which is either side of manchester yeah exactly yeah you've made it even harder for yourself yeah exactly so 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 you mentioned then briefly that you there was a point where you realized you wanted to be your own boss right talk us through (laughs) what was going on in your mind and your life at that point that that crystallized that idea yeah so I, i worked for some great businesses as i was developing through my career and and I suppose like as everyone as as I'm sure you were I I looked at it and thought I want to take some of the good bits of all these companies and put it into one business and and and, you know at that point it was very much 100 dial outs a day get on the phones what are you doing all that sort of stuff and I I could see it you know five six years ago the market was going to turn you know that like those draconian ways of doing recruitment were going to change um I know we spoke about this loads but you know having a brand and treating people the right way and having a team that are motivated by more than money has become quite a big thing now. You know, like not all of my team are just motivated by money. Um, there's yeah. all sorts of other factors at play. So I think I, I wanted to, to to do it to try and prove a different model. The other thing is, is that throughout my career, I've done quite a few MSP RPO type arrangements. So I've run some big, big RPOs at a young age. And I always knew with AJ that we would do it slightly differently and have a partnership model and try and lock down clients in a different way rather than just traditional contingent recruitment, which we still do, but clearly like we try and do it in a more partnership embedded talent model than we than we would. And I'm sure we'll get into that. So when did you just when did you make the move and say, right, I'm doing it? Was it like just before you started or did you take some time what was the what was the strategy yeah so I, I actually dug out some emails um after we'd set up so me and my then business partner and 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 no longer business partner but me and my business partner at the time a year into michael page were plotting oh we'll do it and we'll do it and you never actually get around to pressing the trigger do you so mm. uh it did take us two or three years from that point to actually press the trigger but we were plotting it for some time um i think the moment that changed is Weirdly, like, it was a commission, just a commission conversation, sat at a desk, you build 160 grand this quarter, your bonus is going to be seven grand. And I was just like, that's... Yeah, it's a conversation about commission. I sat down with my boss at the time, and, and nothing against Michael Pades are an unbelievable business, but at that point, it was like, you've built this amount of money, this is going to be a bonus. And it, I think it equated to about 5%. And I just thought, do you know what? I'm making a lot of money for this company. And if that's going to be the bonus that I can get from building that amount of money, now's the time. And it was just the push I needed. I was already thinking of it anyway. It was the push I it's needed. It's never a right time though, is it? Like, the never. Amount of people, like the amount of people who think they have to do... I'm reading a book at the moment and I'll recommend it. It's called Ready, Set, Fire, I think is the name. Right. Audible. Let me just check. Is it Ready, Set, Fire? No, Ready, Fire, Aim by a guy called Michael Masterton. If anyone wants a good book, I'm only like chapter two, but I'm like, wow. And basically it talks about like different stages of business growth. And it says yeah. like so many people are obsessed with like getting everything ready and right before they, they press play on a, on a business idea. And there's never a good time. And it also talks about like the things you do in the early days, like you think spending time on your contracts and your logos and all this shit. Yeah. You've got to focus everything on sales. Sales and marketing should be, of a founder's role and forever there should be 80% of their efforts focusing on sales and marketing. That's what it's all about. It's uh, it's amazing. But anyway, so you, you know, this commission check conversation, you're like, bloody hell, this is getting beyond the joke now. Um, So you, did you both hand your notice in together? How did it all go? 
No, so uh, I obviously was going to have a restricted covenants situation. So I actually went and did an internal role, which was really, really important in the journey with because I've never worked internal before. I went and worked for one of our key clients at the time. They said, look, why don't we give you a job 12 months, come and build an internal talent function for us. And I had no idea what I was doing. So I moved to um, Hertfordshire Hitchin. I think Camel's from there, yeah. isn't it? No, but, his um, family are, yeah. Oh, his family's were. Um, and I, it was a really good experience, you know, like they wanted to set up an internal function. It was really understand, good to understand the business mechanisms internally that people think. And you actually see the other side of the coin where recruiters are ringing every two seconds and specking in CVs and don't send any specs to line. And you're having all those conversations that we, we, we hate today. But I think it was a really good experience. It allowed me to get rid of my shit to cover. And so when I started AJ, I could just crack on. Didn't have to worry about that. It also gave me like a little bit of business acumen because it was reporting into the main board director and it got me that exposure to, to business management yeah. as well. And then where there's a name, obviously James is you, but what, what's Anderson with an E? Yeah, yeah. So, an e? It always upsets me that you've gone with the E and not the O. Mate, it upsets clients more than it upsets you. So um, <laughs> when they send it with an O. Um, but I think, um, so my business partner... Um, had his son on, and, and had some like Swedish uh, origin. So right. part of his name was Andersen, which is the, the, the Swedish way of spelling it. So we went with that to be quirky, what turned out to be a bit of a marketing disaster, to be honest, which uh, I'm now stuck with. But often clients will say, we've sent, you a, we've, we've sent you a job, you've not come back to us. And I'm like, where did you send it to? And then we have to go through the conversation. Of, oh, it's Anderson, not Andersen. Well, that yeah, sort of yeah, yeah. Painful. Well, yeah, there's, well, you either get... The EN or the double SON from Sweden, I believe. Um, yeah. I think, I think the son of Anders is uh, is where it comes from. And it, I think mine's more of a Scottish heritage, but even though my family, that's my dad's side, I don't, I don't think we've got any Scottish that I know of. Um, so Anderson James, you plug it together. Cla- this, like Alderson James, Oliver James. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So something James, I don't know why. I mean, it does sound, <laughs> it sounds like a law firm, but it also sounds like a recruitment firm. It's that kind of classic. There's lots of them out yeah. there. Um, take us back to day one then. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the, the Anderson James, weirdly, you, you, you've hit the nail on the head. We wanted to sound as though we were exec search because that was the plan. Um, you quite quickly, the plan goes out the window. It's like the old saying, isn't it? Like everyone's good until they get punched in the face. And it's the same in business, I think. It's like, oh, all these ideas and we're going to be exec search only. And day one hits, the bell goes and you go, where can we make some revenue from straight away? There's a backstory as well. So I was terrible with money growing up. As I said, I didn't pay any bills in London. And um, my now wife, Harriet, still getting letters through the door saying you owe Haringey Council £1,000 from council tax when I used to live in London because I just had no money ever. So I'm still paying off some of that stuff from from today. But um, we just needed to make money. So when I set up AJ, I didn't have any money. Like We we set up with five grand in the bank. That was it. And... uh, we needed to win some like consistent revenue. So we actually started the business through a consultancy offering. We did job descriptions, trainee schemes. We, we wrote strategy documents, talent strategy documents. We did all sorts. And they'd pay us up front for these documents and we'd write them for them. And it got us some cash in the bank to start with. I think in hindsight, I probably wouldn't have done that because it sucked all the time out of the sales and marketing, which is what you've just yeah. said about that. But we didn't yeah. do any. We just basically wrote documents for people, which which was a bit of a weird all start. people you knew, right? Yeah, yeah, all the people we yeah. knew. So it got some money in the bank. It gave us a bit of confidence that we weren't going to go out of business in the first three months. But actually, the sales cycle didn't start till a little bit later on. Um, so you, you, like you said, you based yourself in an office in Sheffield. You were in Manchester. He's in Nottingham. 
What was that like? Was it every day or a couple of days a week? What were you doing? A couple of days a week. And it didn't work. I mean, the, the first thing it didn't work because I was traveling over uh, Snakes Pass. Is it Snakes Pass that drops yeah, in yeah. at Ecky Road? Yeah. And that's a disaster of a drive. Um, yeah. He was driving up. So it became two days a week, one day a week, no days a week. And, and eventually it just fizzled out because it just didn't work. Why was he in Nottingham, though? Was he, was he not that's in That's where he lives. Was he no, that's where he lived. You in, was he in the Nottingham office and you were in a Manchester office? For the yeah, period? sorry. So he he managed the Nottingham office at Michael Page and I managed the Manchester office. So we just thought he'd have the South covered with his network and I'd have the North covered with my network and it worked quite well. But we weren't friends outside of work. It was very much business. Like We just, yeah. we just knew each other through the business. Um, so one thing that I think I've learned through that process is it was obvious after six months of, of starting up AJ that we wanted different things. I wanted to grow a business. I wanted to grow headcount. And so month three, realistically, so we set up back in the 2015, 2016, the mm -hmm. first quarter was the first quarter we started doing revenue, really. And I wanted to hire someone straight away from my old network. And it was very obvious at that point, there was that conversation of let's just, he wanted to make money and just build and I wanted to build a team. Mm -hmm. And so we were already... Drivers? What were his drivers, do you think? Well, he's, I mean, like now I've, I've learned a lot since he's left the business and we can come on to that as we go through the journey. But um, he was very much into his running, very much into his lifestyle, loves his family, wants to spend time there. So it was a lifestyle business. And, and to be honest, he's gone on and done that and doing fantastically well, just making some money, billing some fees. And I don't think he wanted the commitment of headcount and people and the stresses and tribulations that come with that. Um, so if we fast forward to the end of that quote, we hired someone. A big hire for us at the time, um, who's still here today, Steph, who's one of our directors now. And it started the clock. And unfortunately, we didn't get that period of enjoyment where you're constantly worrying about money, aren't you, when you've got headcount? So you're like, right, can we pay a salary? Can we pay this? How and, early and did you how early did you hire her? Three months. Wow. And this was in that Sheffield office. Yeah, yeah. So we, we straight away hired someone and we moved the office at the end of that quarter. She's from Manchester, well, Rochdale. Yeah. We moved the office to Manchester straight away then. And what did he do then? Just just work from Nottingham, which was the first part of the disconnect, if I want to. Did he even come over and see you guys? Yeah, yeah. A couple yeah. of times a week. Um, but again, like that wasn't good on him either. Like So, so as we start... Not a good journey to Manchester, is it? Horrible journey and a horrible off. train. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think the, what, the one thing that I think we were really keen, and this was my ego talking at the time, and we can come on to that, but it was... Headcount, headcount, headcount. I want to tell my mates that I've got five, 10 staff in 12 months. And, and it probably was my bigger driver rather than getting the business set up in the right way in the Where first 12 months. I don't know. There's a lot of, uh, we both speak to Dr. Aria, don't we? And, and there's a lot of this that was built out of, I think, you'll never make anything of yourself. Them conversations start reaping up in your head and you're like, you want to prove yourself and you want to prove that you can make it work. So the guys that, my previous companies were, you know, I don't think this is going to work. You'll be back in 12 months. You'll be back mm. in that sort of conversation comes out. And I think it probably drives the wrong behavior, probably drives the behavior of like making sure things are validation externally rather than internally. And that's yeah. kind of where I was for the first 12 months. And obviously when you're in your new phase, people always ask you, how's business? How's it going? How's mm. it going? How's business? So you want to, yeah. you want to have something to say. And like you say, well, yeah, we've hired people. Is it, is it, is an, is an external indicator that you're successful. doesn't mean you Agreed. are, you know. So were you just paying, you were making enough to just cover salaries at that point? Yeah, pretty much. And like, we, we started to really sell quite hard. So for the first two years, we went down this partnership model. Um, 
and it went really well. So like in the first couple of quarters, we won a big account. They wanted to do all our recruitment. We, we sort of did exclusively all of their recruitment. So they were about two or 300 grand a year sort of business revenue wise. And again, lesson learned was that we just, we just like put all of our attention into that one customer, mm. stopped doing their outgoing sales and started to just become almost their internal recruiter. And it stopped us doing any of the external stuff. And it stopped us kind of realizing what we could be as a business because we just got these. And we even recruited people that would only want to do delivery. Don't worry about them not having a sales skill set because all we need them to do is find candidates for this one customer. Yeah. And as, as we roll the story forward, we ended up getting ourselves into a position where we had three or four of these companies that we worked for in that way with a relatively big, you know, 10 heads at, at probably within the couple, first couple of years just doing resourcing, just finding candidates. Like, what, a million, 1.2 million pound GP yeah, or something? Pretty much, like less. I think, I think I looked, the first three years, we'd only got the business to sort of seven, 800 grand GP because we were so embedded in these two or three companies. What were your um, what was your job like at that point? What were you were you just head down recruiting or count? Yeah, head recruiting? down head down recruiting, um, resourcing. You know, if if I was to set up a business now, I reckon I could get to where I've got to today in two or three years because mm. I've learned all the lessons from like setting up that way. But you sort of see this carrot being dangled of these big businesses do all of our recruitment. It's safe. It's steady money. Um, what what actually happened, and and the so the first two years, so if I go to two thousand and eighteen, it was pretty relatively boring. Like we were recruiting, we were growing headcount, we had all the usual things going on that every business does: cash flow worries, building headcount, all the stuff. But actually, we were stuck in these three customers, and then in, at the end of twenty eighteen, one of these customers went bust on us, um, wow. and so it was a massive moment. You know, like they took us for three hundred and fifty grand. Um, As in, the, you, you lost that cash? Fit, yeah, actually, like invoice oh. money that we'd lost. Um, they, we had a forward revenue of maybe another 200 grand. So we probably lost half a million quid in one moment. Um, well, and the guys tell, always... Where were you? Well, tell, tell us exactly how that happened then. Where were yeah, you? so we just bought a bigger office. We were going to expand. We had like plans for all the, the, the grandeur of 20, 30 heads and all that sort of stuff. And, and it put us back quite a lot. Um and the guys still describe it that are still here today. They still describe it as like the Wall Street crash. The office was just deadly silent. How did it all it. come out? Like, what? Tell talk us back through that day though. Like, how the news? Yeah, yeah. So if we go back three months to the story, um, the the big part was they just weren't paying. They weren't communicating, and they were saying that we're waiting for some PE money to come through, some private equity money. And actually, in three months, we'll pay you. Don't worry. Like, it's safe as houses. It started to re we started to realize that the rumors were coming out they were in Boston that they, they didn't have enough money to pay subcontractors um and then one day i just got a call out of the blue to say listen just to let you know it's going to come in out in the news tomorrow we're going bust like the company's going down and it was like right and obviously i've not been in that situation before but i didn't realize that administrators get called in your money's dead you might get one pence to the pound or something if you if you claim, but actually it was it was dead money, um, and it was a real difficult period because up until that point, I told you about how I was with money. I'd spent everything like we were going out, we we're having a great time. The business was in a real fun stage at that point, um, and there just wasn't enough money. There weren't enough money to pay staff. I had to take out money out from my own personal bank to pay the salaries, and and we just had to like at that point think what we're going to do now because we've not done enough sales we've not done enough marketing we've probably only got three companies that we're working with regularly 
And so it was like a rebuild from that day. It must be like to, to actually swallow half a million quid worth of in the drain. Oh, it was, it how was did horrible. you deal with that? What did you do? Did you go for a few beers? Did you... <laughs> <laughs> um, to, well, to, to be fair, we, we, we didn't see it as an opportunity. It wasn't an opportunity. But after the dust settled a week later of me just being like depressed, for, for a week it like to be fair i just like went into a bit of a, a daze in it all um you realize that there's a thousand people or it might have been 400 people sorry that had been made redundant so there's 400 people we can go and find new homes and so we turned it into a let's go and utilize these relationships we've got with the people we've placed and put them into other companies and start to change the skill set the problem is, is that we had 10 people that were only used to finding candidates. So they were on job boards, they were on LinkedIn, they were finding candidates all day. They didn't have the sales ability to go and win new work. Um, and so we, we managed to survive it. We put some of our own money back into the company and, and, and realistically, like six months later, it was probably the best thing that could have happened to us because it changed our business model and we became more reliant on sales and people being self-sufficient within our team. Um, Headcount stayed relatively similar. You know, we were at 10 heads. We stayed at 10 heads. We just rode it out for a period of time. I wanted to quickly interrupt this episode to update you on what it is I actually do all day, apart from the RAG podcast, of course. Now, most of you know from the episodes that I am the founder of Hoxo, right? What you probably don't know is that we're currently working with over 250 recruitment agencies and over 4,000 of their recruiters around the world in every continent and helping these businesses brand themselves and the people in the company better. Now, we have built a creative team over the last six years that helps manage the creation of new agency brands. Obviously, a lot of the listeners in the RAG are starting their businesses uh, for the first time. But more often than not, we rebrand tired companies. So many businesses we work with are smashing it when it comes to revenue and performance, but their website and their online story was built back when they started for like 500 quid and it just does not represent who they are today. So we believe getting that right becomes your, building a brand becomes your anchor. Now every good brand also needs traffic, right? You need people to see it, to come to the website, see you online, and that's where your people come in. So we work to either manage the personal brands of your team, or we can teach you how to build the brand yourselves. All of it is designed to give you consistency on LinkedIn that helps you stand out from the competition, show your personality, show and add value, and ultimately make more money. Now, I personally speak to potential new customers along with my business partner, Amma. So I would love to spend some time with you, my RAG listeners that I potentially don't even know yet. Any of you that are interested in building a brand that's fit for purpose in 2023 and beyond, come and speak to us. Just click the link in the show notes, fill in the form, and we will be in touch with you within 48 hours to book a 30 minutes video call ASAP. Right, back to the show. So what did you do to change the way people were? Like what were the logical steps to actually develop those skills? With, with yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think there was, a, there was a lot of training. We brought in an external mm -hmm. trainer. We did a lot of work around trying to change people's skill sets. I mean, the big problem you've got is you've got some people that were in our business then that were two years in, knew it no other way and didn't want to do sales. They were sold an opportunity. Yeah. It was, don't worry, you don't have to do sales. So over time, we did end up churning some of those heads because they just weren't the right people um, for that role that we needed them to do. But the practical steps were training, external training provider, 
mapping out the market in a real in, in, a, in a positive way trying to understand what we're going to be because up until that point it was quite one client did construction one client did housing they were very mixed match these companies so we just like nailed our colors to the mast and said this is what we're going to be um, and we just stuck to that um and i think you know six to 12 months later it's very obvious that we've made the wrong turn two or three years earlier <laughs> in 2016 we should have done that then um yeah but I think most people set up a business, and I don't disagree that this isn't the right thing to do. I think most people set up a business and don't have a plan. And I think yeah, that's all right. I think I you can be fluid. A, I was launching a recruitment company 30 days before I launched Hoxhall Media. Like, so, <laughs> yeah. God knows. I literally had no idea what I was going to do. I had a rough idea of what I was going to charge people. I knew I could get older recruiters. Yeah, I, yeah. Didn't know, I didn't actually know any. I had, had a handful of contacts that I'd worked with that had gone off and either joined new companies or had, uh, had set up. But it wasn't, I, I had a good idea of how I was going to do it. But I, I had no, we had no, I think Amma drew up this ridiculously pathetic budget <laughs> that was nonsense. It's funny though, the numbers we, we actually generated in at Hoxo was really similar to what I did in recruitment. Like they're almost identical years. Like, so I think 200 yeah. nod in first year, 490 in second year, 750 third year million fourth year it literally was like how i built my my con my, my contract business it was weird like yeah and it's like maybe that i don't know maybe that's a limitation of the, <laughs> the levels i've got <laughs> i don't know um but yeah 90 percent of people mate they can write whatever they want on a fag packet but they don't know 100%. the ones that do come in and know are typically the guys i think that have ran big teams worked really close to a founder of a, of a, of a similar type business and yeah. then they're like you know, they, they've kind of really, really been at the coal face of it before. And they come in and they go, day one, they know what they're doing. They know where they are. They go and they scale quick. Like you say, if you now yeah. created a second brand, brand new, Anderson, James felt right. You'd, you'd yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anderson. You'd yeah. you know, you would you would hit it fast. Then you Easy. Would know it, you know what's coming, right? And the, and the other thing is, is and, and, and a bit of advice I would say is, I wish I'd have got better experience in the industry. I was just a recruiter, right? I wasn't a manager. Michael Page, I manage a small team, three or four people. But, you know, Michael Page was paint by numbers back then. I don't know what it is like today, but mm. I wasn't managing people. There was a process set out. I just followed it. Yeah. <laughs> you set up your own company and realize that you've got finances, cash flow, people mm. management, HR, IT. And you're just like, what the fuck is this? Even now, like, it's still like, can be overwhelming. Yeah, same. If you look at the whole fucking thing, it's overwhelming. You have to, you have to like compartmentalize it and be like, right, I'll just worry about that for a bit and think yeah, about that for a absolutely. bit. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you look at the, it's like having a wardrobe that's open with clothes everywhere. It's pretty. Whereas if you shut the fucking wardrobe, take one item. It's so true. And, and I think over time you can develop that. The one thing that I would never take back though is like we didn't have an investment. I had five grand in the bank, so I've had to learn the hard way about to run a business, like how to run cash flow. You know, we we once had. Um, auditors turn up from HMRC within our first two years and it was like you have the right to remain silent like you've not paid your taxes properly there was all sorts of like and it was only a mistake like I didn't know how to do accounts <laughs> so it's just like so you did your own tax return yeah yeah so we did everything ourselves for the first couple of years and the other thing is I know but the other thing is get high street to do that yeah, and we didn't do um we didn't have zero or anything. So we have zero in our business now. Yeah, but yeah, then yeah. we were just doing everything was manual and on spreadsheets. And it was it was chaos, wow. honestly. Wow. Right, that's not good. That's not good. Did you get fined so, then or what? 
just just like a slap on the wrist, like you, yeah. you need to pay a thousand. It was like small change, like thousand pound we'd not paid or something. And it was like, but it makes you realize. And I think one thing that I'm not, I'm pretty happy that we did is like, it's good to learn all parts of your business. So like, it was good to have to learn that. It was good to have yeah. to learn. Everything's like kind of outsourced now, but I think at the time it was nice to have that experience and exposure to some of these things. Otherwise I wouldn't have a clue what accountants talk to me about all day. Yeah, fair. So, well, if we fast forward, then you said twelve months after the the, the, the money went down, that five hundred. So you're talking about three years in or so. Yeah, maybe a bit a bit more. But was it end of 2018, 2019? Yeah. Where did we? Is this where is your business partner still involved at this point? Yeah, so he's still involved. So 2018, that happens. You know, a bit of fog up until the Christmas of 2018. 2019, it's a rebuild, right? So yeah. the revenue actually goes forward, but I think we build. In that 2019 year, 660 grand through about eight to 10 people, roughly. I don't know exactly, but roughly, right? Because we had to start from scratch. No clients, no no infrastructure, no money in the bank. So it was a, it was a real rebuild point. Got to the end of 2019, Q4 of 2019 was a record. It was a great, we were in a good spot and was was looking into Q1 of, of 2020 and thinking this is going to be a, an unbelievable <laughs> year. <laughs> and Everyone you can tell what's coming next. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and like at the Christmas of 2019, because I know you've met him, we were, we were meeting with um, people to come and lead businesses for us and we're looking at management structures and all that sort of stuff. And I think we, we had the right trajectory and knew what we wanted to do. We had a bit of a plan. We knew what we wanted to do, which markets, what, 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 what the strategy was going to be. And we hired um, a guy called Rick Ollerton from Oliver James, who I know you've met. Yeah, and he was coming in. He had to serve a notice period, so he actually started on the tenth of March, twenty twenty. Oh my god! And I remember it well because he was. Um, yeah, he started on his first day, and he wasn't. He didn't look very well. And I said, "Are you, you alright, mate?" He's like, "Man, I feel awful. I don't know what's wrong with me." Anyway, he had COVID, oh. <laughs> and then obviously, the, the yeah, yeah, brings it in the office on his first day, and it was just. You know, and then the rest is chaos, isn't it? From that point, like two, three, four days later, we're being locked down, and you're like, "What it is was, going on?" It was mad, wasn't it? I mean, I I remember we had our third year birthday, so we started in March third, yeah. twenty seventeen. So third, I think it was about fifth of March, twenty twenty. We had our third year birthday, and it was just coming out that this virus was pretty big, and it, it was it, you know, in Italy was the country that everyone was worried about. Um, Absolutely, I remember. And, and Billy, my account director was in Italy on uh, with his wife at the time and then he came back and we didn't let him come to the Chris to the to the annual party right we said it's not not a good idea and his reaction he sent us this dead long email about like we've overreacted he sent us, <laughs> he sent us links to like articles saying like you know it's not going to get here and he, his wife even disagreed with it and we me and Emma felt so bad we we're like oh, we should have probably let him and he was in London we just didn't, didn't let him come to the office yeah um, and then a week later, like, I mean, the world's fucking shut. And the, we always laugh about it now. It's like the foresight just wasn't there. So yeah. so Rick starts and he yeah. was coming in as, what was his role that he was coming in to do? I was, it was actually coming in as a manager. He was just going to come and manage a team. Um, so the thing in 2019, obviously, as I said, we were changing the skill set of our operation, right? So we had loads and loads of delivery people. We needed loads and loads of salespeople. So over a period of that 2019, we were trying to change the skill set. But effectively, yeah. if you look at that as a picture, 
I'm picking up all the work, delivering it to the team, and they're delivering it was how it yeah. was working. And yeah. I, I realized at the back end of 2019, I was every client relationship was mine, every situation was mine or Andrew, my business partners at the time, and we were just feeding the team. And it was became very evident towards the back end of that. The only way to grow was to build out teams now of people that can go and deliver and win work. And yeah. otherwise, it was what, always going to be us. What was your business partner doing at this point? Sales, same thing. So, so you and him were driving all the business in. Yeah, so we had 10 heads in Manchester and there was just him in Nottingham and he was basically doing exec search on his own, free and easy in, in Nottingham, to be fair, and was billing really well. Like, he's a brilliant biller. Um, but he was delivering his own work, winning his own work. And he the wasn't team in even, like, feeding everyone. He was literally just... No, 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 just just his own thing, right? So, And it's important for context because of what comes next. But I think the... In Manchester, we had 10 heads, and I was trying to feed them all the time. And it's really difficult. I know you know this from your from your yeah. business. Is it's really difficult when you're in this every sales cycle, every meeting, every retainer pitch, every presentation. I was in everything. And you're like, this can never get bigger than 10 heads because I can only fill 10 heads worth of revenue. So we knew it needed to change, which is why we were going to bring Rick in to help with the day-to-day -day management of the team. Because not only was I winning the work, you're managing 10 personalities, 10 people, 10 prop sets of problems, all the usual stuff that you've got to look at um so we brought rick in and, and as i said he started march 20 2020 and <laughs> the world went upside down quite quickly um yeah so how did you guys cope with that the you obviously you went home but were you yep. at the time you were five days a week in the office i imagine uh, yeah full-time five days a week in the office um we we just bought bigger offices, so we were tied into a lease. So, like, it wasn't like I know a lot of people got lucky on their leases because I think if our lease hadn't have been tied in, we'd have just got rid of the office and, and gone remote. <laughs> but we were in, so yeah. Um, we all went home. Um, we were quite clever because our market shut down real quick. So we we work in one of our biggest sectors is house building. They weren't allowed in houses to build them, therefore the market just died of death straight away. So. All the jobs got pulled, all the revenue got pulled. It was a disaster. Mm. But what we did do is we we then created an RPO business out the back of that. So we said there's three clients of ours that are still recruiting, even through the pandemic, remotely or whatever they were doing. Let's tie them down. So we, we went on Zoom, we pitched these clients. We said, look, why don't we do something slightly different? And the heads that we then had, I don't know how many, let's just seven or eight, 10, whatever it was. We said, why don't we charge them out at 10, 12 grand a head and say, we'll just recruit for you as an internal recruiter while this is going on. And, and that's weirdly what we did. We built out that an That sounds RPO. like you went back to the original model, but yeah, with, yeah, yeah. with a bit more foresight and wrapped it into a product rather than it being yeah. the whole business strategy, right? Yeah, exactly. So we had clients in COVID. I can't remember what our overhead was. I'd love to know because it's definitely grown a bit since. But um, I think it was like 50 grand a month, 60, whatever it was, right? And I said... As long as we can cover that amount of money with a little bit of profit, we ended up making 120, 130 grand a month out of these embedded models that we, we created with clients. Wow. They were getting a great service. I mean, some of them were getting cost per hire at three, four grand. They were they were loving it. And again, foresight's brilliant, but that was in March. In about May, our markets all came back thriving. And you're like, shit, we've just embedded all of our recruiters now into this new new, new yeah. way of working. So we let that fizzle out over 2020. When COVID hit, me and my business partner then had a really serious conversation. We just said, look, where do you want to be here? Because you're doing your own thing. I'm building a business. I've got all the stress. You've got all of the freedom. What do you want to do? You, if you don't mind me asking that, how were you splitting like what you earn? Was he taking... 50-50. 
No, so, it was 50-50 straight down the middle. Right. right. So, so whatever like AJ was generating, he was getting the, the benefit of half of the business, but the, a lot of the day-to-day management was happening from me and it just wasn't working. Wasn't and fair. to be fair, yeah, it wasn't fair, but he's like the nicest bloke you'll ever meet in your life and he never asked for it. So in some ways, when I've reflected on it a couple of years later, I was pulling in one direction, he was pulling in the other. He wanted to just build money, have a nice life, support his family and have the freedom to do what he wanted. And I've always wanted to grow a business. So it was holding us both back in some ways. Um, so we had a conversation, um, we bought his shares and I became 100% owner of AJ at that moment. And then, you know, if you fast forward, like pandemic. I said, yeah, that day, the day of the pandemic. Oh my God. So, cause I just thought no one knew what was going to happen. Like I might as well make a brave choice here because there's only two ways this goes. Either something happens and there's an intervention or our business goes down. And I mean, everyone was in the same boat. I remember listening to your voice once a day at that point. So yeah, 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 yeah. That's when we started getting to know each other. Cause you, yeah. you listened to that and then I did that 75 hard and you, you followed it. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which is incredible. But so you, Tough. how was that negotiating in a day to buy someone's shares? Do, do you know what? The easiest thing ever. I mean, it doesn't happen in a day because of solicitors and all that sort of stuff, yeah. but decision was made. It was like, look, this is probably a good moment for us to split company and go our separate ways. And, and, and to be fair, he's gone on and done exactly what he wanted to do. And, and that's brilliant. And he's running oh, every yeah. day and he's enjoying himself and he's having a great time. And, and to be fair, there's parts of things that I now look at what he's doing and I think, you know, you need to start thinking about that balance yourself because, to be fair, <laughs> you get fully encompassed into into what you're doing as, as running a business. Um, but I think, so we did that. We all got sent home. We embedded our customers. We won some big accounts. And to be fair, 2020 was an okay year. We ended up what doing... Do? Na- but what did you do when the market came back and you said you'd locked your team into the this... Did you just let that ride or did you start hiring people to do the... We, 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 the we let it ride, to be honest. We let it ride and we we started to pull... As little like clients said, oh, I don't need that person anymore, we started putting them into sales again right. and, and we just yeah. rebuilt our team. I think by May, June, we were hiring again. I think everyone was like, we were, you know, yeah. the markets are booming, like we're, we're hiring again. Um, I think we, we, we did some work with clients we, we use the time effectively, to be honest, because we use that three months when no one was hiring to do some like DNI strategy reports for some customers. We did some some good stuff in that time and built up quite a bit of loyalty with some of our customer base. Um, we went back to the office a couple times, got sent home. Like everyone, we were in and out of the office. Um, we probably then, I think probably back end of 2020, um, we built out some decent customers because through this, this, this RPO and doing some of these uh, talent strategies and we finished the year on about 900 K. So like from starting in 2016 to 20 end of 2020, you're at 900 K and you think to yourself, that's been a tough five years to get to 900 K to be fair. Um, and then we really, really, really accelerated from that point because I think we started to build out, what our proposition was. We started to, we worked with you guys on some marketing stuff. We put a podcast yeah, we together. Podcast, didn't we? Yeah, we did all sorts. And, and to be fair, it properly accelerated all of our growth. Like it was a a brave move because I was thinking, should you be spending this kind of money on marketing at this point in time when we don't know what's coming next? But it was the best move we made because it, it put us on a trajectory to where we are today. Um, and also, I, I imagine you're, you finally got rid of that little bit of shackle of that guy, even though, 
you liked him and he's a lovely bloke and all that, it does feel a bit of a weight, doesn't it? Like I, yeah, like we had a, me and Amma are the same. We, we, you know, there was three of us who started Hock, so we bought him out in 2019, and I don't think our business made any money until we bought him out. Yeah. It wasn't, he wasn't the reason. Like what he was doing in the business didn't 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 stop us from making money, but knowing you've got an imbalance at the founder level, yeah, it, it, it eats away at you and it chips away and it, it dominates conversation and mindset. And I agree. And then you feel this level of freedom, don't you? That you're like, fuck, it's pay. There's a risk now, but at least it's all on my terms. At least I can only blame myself now. <laughs> yeah, I can't yeah. Keep pointing the finger and well, he ain't fucking helping out and he's not doing this and it's not worth it. It also doesn't feel like your business. If anyone is looking to set up, and I know you've got loads of budding entrepreneurs that listen to the show, like you've got to pick your partner right or do it on your own because if you're not absolutely aligned on absolutely everything, it's really difficult. You know, you're trying to buy race horse racing tickets for a client and you're having to say, are you okay with this if I just spend this money on... It's a bit like having a joint account with someone you don't know. It's a weird situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also, from a business perspective, you're like trying to convince all the time the other person, should we hire this person? Like, I don't think we should. And you're like, but we're not moving forward if we don't hire them. And it's a constant battle. So I think like, if people are looking to set up, you've just got to be sure you're setting up. Like, set up with your best mate so you know, or set up with someone that you're absolutely aligned on goals well, a lot and vision. Of people say that, don't they? Don't go into business with friends. And, you know, me and Amma, I think, I think we're quite unique really like we've been best mates yeah. since we were 18 we've never argued you know we, we did we debate and dis disagree on things but we we definitely see the world the same way we definitely agree on the big picture even now what are we six years into the journey yeah we're you know we're still we still talk every day and we still want we still know where we're heading and it's always aligned if, if that if the track starts to break at any point then it you know it's going to be, especially when it is your best mate, it's going to be hard. But yeah, I don't absolutely. see that happening with us. But again, I definitely, like, I would completely agree with what you said. Like, having, the other guy was a friend from school who I didn't know that well since we were 16. And I'd never worked with him. And, you know, the exuberance of starting up was like, oh, yeah, it'll be great. I know him. But it wasn't. And it didn't. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So if we go into then, if we move into 2020, because mm -hmm. as I said, end of 20, sorry, back end of 2020 that you... You made the decision to go into mark putting more money into brand you know you're, you're investing in the team you're at the helm now yeah what actually happened i know obviously we we, we launched yeah, the podcast with you and but talk us through what what actually happened in that time yeah fine so um we we invested in in hoxo i think as you know um we had a really good 12 months of defining i think the process was interesting because we were able to spend some time and Amar yourself got out of my head what the vision was. And I think probably the first time that's happened in that five-year period where I was like, right, this is what we're going to do. And so we created the podcast. We created email marketing. We did a few things that really accelerated some of the client conversations. I mean, realistically, it just got us in front of more people and, and able to speak to more people. We brought Rick in. We knew that the plan with Rick was to build out a team. We diversified our offering at that point, which was important. So we continue with our RPO site sort of business, very small and humble type size business, but it was three or four heads. Rick went on and grew out our, what is now one of our most successful businesses, which is our public sector offering and the UK private sector offering. And he just like was a machine, you know, he was just ringing clients, getting on the phone, doing the usual stuff and, and winning relationships. I think on, on the flip of that, we 
started to really accelerate our headcount. So I, I can't remember exactly what we finished the, the year on, but certainly by the end of 2020, we was at double where we were when we started the COVID situation. Yeah, We had more genuine um, appetite for hiring because obviously I'd got rid of the shackles. And I think the business was clearer on what it was trying to achieve, <laughs> uh, which was a big part of it. Um, as we got to the back end of 2020, we were we were in really good shape. As I said, we did 900k just under a mil, um, but we knew that 2021 was going to be a big year because we knew that kind of we'd put all the right footings in place in 2020. It was like going back in time to unpick all the things we needed to do from a brand and marketing perspective, <laughs> and then and and I've just done that again recently, which I'm sure we'll come on to. But you sometimes have to go a couple of steps back to to take a few forward, and we needed. Like- you have like stepping stones, don't you? You do, yeah. Like every every eight to twelve to eighteen months, you kind of you you outgrow what you did before, and you think, well, we need Agreed. to change that again. And it's constant, and you have it's it's just part of the journey, I think. Yeah, and and one thing that Rick was instrumental in for us was he wouldn't allow people not to be self sufficient. So I'm a bit soft. I was winning work for people. Here you go, just deliver this yeah. piece of work and paying full commission to people. He was like, mate, these people need development so that they're self-sufficient and that's what they want as well not just what we want they want to be able to do the full job yeah and he really drove the team on sales activity and and the stuff that he'd learned from oliver james and i think that was a turning point that was definitely a big turning point for us that we had more self-sufficient people the brand was getting stronger you know not only was the brand good for clients but we were getting people tapping us up wanting to come and work for us which hadn't happened before And I think if you look at the five years previous, and one thing that people make a massive mistake for, and I made this mistake, is you hire people for today rather than for tomorrow. You hire people that you think are going to be good right now in the moment and realize quite quickly you've hired someone that might get you through the next three months, but they're not going to to be progressive. Um, Mm. And I think when you start in a business, you hire people that you would never hire at this stage like i would never hire the people we hired in 2016 today necessarily no. because they wouldn't be able to survive in our current world um yeah so it probably means that patience is a virtue in terms of just taking your time to hire the right people rather than you end up with such a bad churn in the early days just hiring you kind of need to do but i think you, i think every business almost needs to make those, a few of those mistakes they do yeah, yeah. Yeah. a bit like you saying keep giving someone the, the, the business and Rick saying no we need to give them that they need to learn to be self-sufficient Agreed. It's, a bit like, it's a bit like we can give everyone all the ingredients to running a company but you kind of need to fuck it up a bit at the beginning anyway like so but I do love the advice you're sharing what so what was the next version of the business then so you're coming in yeah, you're marketing you got Rick it's growing what, what was the next evolution where you realized you were creaking or things weren't working out yeah so um Obviously, you realize that one person effectively can only manage the amount of people they can manage, and you start to creak. And so we got to kind of mid-2021, things were going well. We were hitting record, 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 record in terms of revenue. I think everyone was. Certainly, by the middle of 2021, we were in a totally different shape business. Rick was managing a team. I was managing a team. The RPO was going along. And I brought... Uh, a lifelong friend, Marcus Blackburn, who used to run Robert Walters uh, in Manchester. And he came in and was going to do exec search for us. And it was very evident at that point that we were going to focus our time on getting back to that executive search level because it's an easy rain-making market, isn't it? You do exec search, it's yeah, top you down. you filter it down, don't you? And you filter it down. It's quite an easy model. 
We also started US. We got an opportunity to hire someone out in the US that was coming home to, to, to Liverpool. Um, and that catapulted that offering as well, slowly. It was a one-man band. He, was, he knew the market, was doing a little bit out there, and we were learning how it all worked. So by mid-2021, we had Marcus, who came in as an MD. Rick had catapulted his career. He was director slash MD at that point. And we were starting to define what the structure looked like. Myself was off the tools. I wasn't selling anymore. I was running the business. These guys were running the sales activity. Um, and Steph, who, who joined us in, in the March, was running our RPO business. So it was kind of all nicely structured at that point, and we were just growing the headcount. Um, what, what then materialized, I suppose, back end of 2021, we wanted to grow the office. We are probably at 20 heads at that point, I would have thought, 20, 22 heads. And we wanted to grow out what our offer is office was so we signed a 10-year lease which was dangerous but we signed that's a 10-year lease now. yeah yeah that's where we are now we invested 250 300 grand into the office um into Beautiful. the fit out yeah it's good it's really nice um but weirdly like we'd done all that but we weren't trying to get people to come back to the office we weren't saying like right you've got to be in the office five days a week we'd experimented with loads of patterns since covid we did anytime anywhere any place was a disaster for us as a business because our management infrastructure didn't support it we then went hybrid and i think hybrid works for us we do three and two now people pick their model and we've got such a nice space they want to be here so we've kind of tried to encourage people without telling them they have to be here five days a week by the end of 2021 we got the opportunity through a really really good contact of mine to pitch for an rpo um michael page of the incumbent there were three or four people in the mix and i sort of didn't think we'd win if i'm being honest and so we went through a massive tendering process, met their board of directors, did a big pitch. We won and we needed to mobilize it. Yeah, yeah, but like heavily involved. In for the big brought, brought us back in. And, and to be fair, it was like a massive pitch that we didn't think we were going to win. It was an experience. Yeah. I saw it as an experience to go and get in front of the board directors of this company. They wanted to grow their headcount by nearly a thousand heads. Um, and it would have changed our business. So we went for it and, and and we subsequently won through five or six different things and, and ended up filtering out from the Michael Page arrangement into our own. And it just totally catapulted us. I mean, like we went from that year in 2021, probably delivering 1.5 million, 1.6 million pound worth of revenue to start running the business at sort of, you know, 2022, we started running at three, 400 grand months. And you're thinking this yeah. is accelerating at a rate of knots now. Um, that year we, we moved into the office in the March, I think of 2022. And that year Marcus, um, took over the UK business. Rick decided he was going to go and grow our US offering. And we had an RPO director in Steph. And so we had three proper leaders running their three divisions with a massive RPO that we'd, we'd just won, uh, probably circa 1.5, 2 million pound revenue a year. So RPO is wrapped up though. It's not affecting the rest of the business now. No, no, no. It's just wrapped up as us. Cause we had those delivery people we spoke about yeah. earlier that were still in our business. So we had the model right for that. And then, you know, from 2021, mid 2021, right through to mid 2022, we were, we were creating some serious numbers. Like, you know, the, the revenue went from, like I said, 800 K in, 2019 2020 2020 to 1.5 million 2021 and then we're doing six 700 grand quarters 800 grand quarters 900 and you're thinking this is moving at quite a, a rate of not and if we'd like accelerate towards mid 2022 we're thinking we, we're unstoppable here we're hiring no, I, before we move on to the what happened next 
yeah, yeah. What, how did you feel at that point? Now, what 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 change what changes happen in you as a founder of a business when you're you're looking at right? I've built this team. We've won this project. I was involved in it. You've got money coming. Money's flying up the train. Yeah. What? How do you feel at that point? Well, it's good because you put me onto uh, Dr. Ari, as we said, and I think the big thing for me there was that was a really important part of my career because I was trying to learn how to grow a bigger business, and and I wasn't the best person to manage the business because I'm quite a control freak. I think anyone that's good at recruitment or running a business is a bit of a control freak, and I wanted to control all the elements. and And he really worked hard on the awareness of how I was affecting other people and, and other stuff. And, and I think it was really important that I left Rick, Marcus and Steph to run their businesses and to crack on and, and be allowed to do that. So we felt, I felt as an owner indestructible at that point, but I, uh, ironically, I think everyone probably did in the recruitment sector at about that point, you know, everyone's right in the biggest months, the biggest quarters, they're growing the headcount dramatically. Um, but I think under the, surface of all that what you've not realized and we spoke about this offline is you, you're building your bloody overhead quite big like your cost base is rising at a rate of yeah. knots as well yeah. and so even though people say um once you get past this hurdle it'll get a lot easier because you'll have people coming in they'll manage a business it doesn't weirdly i think it intensifies the challenge a little bit it just becomes the numbers become bigger and so does the overhead and um and you and you have less and less control of yeah exactly yeah yeah. it takes certain type of people i think me and you are quite similar we ran small teams in recruitment firms set up we're obviously good good salespeople ourselves that doesn't necessarily mean you're you're the right (laughs) fit or you've got the innate skills or experience to run a big business and the way you think there's probably limited limitations to how you think and feel in those situations right so that's really interesting what if you don't mind us like going into a bit of detail. So when you're doing yeah. those months in say for H1 of 2022, yeah, and you see in the sky, are you is profit going with it? So you yeah, you're over yeah. Cra- crazily. The- so like to give you an idea of profit, because I was looking at that this to prep, you know, like year one, two, three, four, you're sort of writing somewhere between 200 and 400 grand profit, right? Is the is the way I saw it. And like because when you were doing smaller years, your headcount was smaller, but profit-wise, it's staying roughly under the yeah. 500 grand threshold as yeah. profit. 2021 or 2020, uh, yeah, 2021, you sort of six to 800 grand. 2022, we did 1.2 million pound profit. Like really hiked up. Um, but I think the thing that from an owner perspective, you've got to be really clear on what you want because what I did lose and you're going to have this experience soon, mate. So good luck with this is that I actually love selling. Um, and I'd lost all the fun bits of the job. And, uh, for a period in 2022, I've changed this now because of of James Doyle, but I was getting a bit like bogged down in the shit of the finances Mm -hmm. and the stuff that no one really wants to do was left in my pile to do. Um, so I'm, I'm almost, gonna I ain't going to be, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. but, but you, but, but you're also delighted and you, you know, the office was a, a big move for us. It could have not come off. It did. We've just, we've just leased next door, which I'm sure we'll come on to. And I think it, it was a really, really strong moment for us where you thought this is only going one way and it can only keep going up and up and up and up. And it, and it, and to some degrees it did. And, and so Q3 of that year, 
we did our record, we did a 1.2 million pound quarter. And you're thinking, this is not going to stop here. Um, (laughs) And then it does. Do you think think your ego starts to grow a bit again? A bit. I think think your ego starts to... I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm that egotistical as a person. However, you start to think you're indestructible and start to make silly, silly decisions. You know, we bought a box at United. We, we started to do stupid things that, you know, I remember you know, when, you, when you did that, I thought you were a United fan. You said, no, I'm Burnley fan. It's just for clients. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that, you must be doing well if you're doing that. Mate, and you know as well as anyone that, like, trying to get someone to go to Man United is a tough gig these days. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't get me there, mate. <laughs> uh, but you know, you start to think, oh, well, you know, this is all this revenue is always going to be there, so that's always going to be our benchmark. And actually, yeah. quite quickly, you start catching yourself up with cost base. So, as I said, that you feel quite indestructible. The team's doing well, everyone's delivering, the jobs are flowing in. Um, there's obviously a buck coming here, but but obviously when it starts to go the other way, you've set your expectations at a certain level. It's very difficult to come back think, from that level. Let's go into that then. Hmm. Do you think, because there's so many companies that have been through this where, look, there's no doubt 21 and, and part of, at least half of 22 was fucking nuts, right? And the recruitment yeah. market, everyone was was writing record months. Everyone was growing headcount. Everyone thought it was the best time. And it was the, probably the best recruitment market has ever seen. Yeah. But, the big bit you just mentioned, the key word here is expectation management. Dr. Aria always talks about it, and it's been on Bartlett's podcast with Mo Gowda. Yeah. Right? Happiness is when expectation and reality are either on a part or reality exceeds expectation. So when you're not happy, it's when you thought something was going to happen and, it, and, it, and it's not quite there, right? Yeah. So how do you set expectation when we were in a, a market that was unsustainable anyway? And yeah. then it starts to normalize, it starts to dip. How does it? How does it all unfold for you? It, it's tough, isn't it? Because you know, it, it's all right. People coming on the pods and, and saying all the things that they say, but Q four for us was a disaster. You know, it, it, I say a disaster. It depends how context is important. We probably did two hundred grand less than the quarter before, and mm. as far as I'm concerned, nothing really changed in our aptitude or the way that the team were delivering. It just it just dripped, dropped. Um, what was the key indicator? What were the things that changed that made? Well, subsequently, I could tell you now, but then we weren't tracking data, we weren't tracking job flow, we weren't we weren't tracking the things that we now do, yeah. because it was pretty cozy, right? We're, we're writing big numbers, the teams were growing, our headcount was at 35, 36, and rising, and you get to Q4 and go, wow, like this is really stuck. I think it was at the time when. Um, all the political stuff was going on and like it was giving a few people some eebie-jeebies around like the confidence in the markets and stuff and that really affects our market because it's housing centric yeah so i think one one bit that i reflected on is that if we'd have had the metrics and controls in place that we have now then we'd have seen it coming but we didn't because we were so busy focusing and this on- was working with so i introduced you to james later uh james Layton, you are james, james doyle the ex um, yep. founder of venturi right and NED, <laughs> and he He's come in and helped you with this, hasn't he? In terms of understanding your business better. Yeah, so he's been with us 12 months. He's seen us go through that rocky quarter. He's been there, done it, got the T-shirt around growing headcount. And I think I said offline to you, I think one thing that I've always advised people that reach out to me on is 
you need certain types of NEDs for certain situations, right? So like when we were started up, I've always had an NED and I've always had a, a coach from a personal perspective because I really believe in it. Mm. But what we had in 2017, 18, 19 compared to James Doyle is a totally different proposition. You know, he and a good book shout, given that you've given one, is um, there's a book called Productable Success that James got me to read. And it's about predictable, how... not predictable. 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 Right. Yeah, predictable. Um, and it's about how cycles businesses go through. So like most recruitment companies go through the fun cycle where everything's going well and da, da, da. And then in order to predict their success, they've got to go through what's called white water, which is the bit where you're putting processes in, putting all the changes in, yeah, yeah. making sure you've got the control so that you can predict success, hence the book. And you've got to make a really clear call. And one thing that I've made the call on is, we could go back to fun and just make it all fun and it's all happy and everyone gets on and we're doing good numbers. Or to go to predictable success, you've got to go through quite a painful situation to re-engineer all your processes and systems. Mm. So he came in and he started to put all that in place. We've put one-up sales in. We've put analytics in. He's doing stuff around AI. For our, there's a lot of stuff now coming that I would have never even dreamt of doing. Mm -hmm. Um We've done loads around training. We've brought learning and development in. We've done a lot, which is sucking out profit naturally, yeah. but it'll help us to now go from, like you said, this is the new step. We're at a level where we're probably four million pound revenue sort of business doing one one point five million pound profit, and we now need to go back in profit to go forward in the future. So we've got to yeah. put learning in, marketing in, all the things that you don't think about when you're thirty heads. Because when we went to 35, 36, the wheels fell off because I could no longer wrap my arms around the whole business anymore. And there yeah. was always six or seven people that felt removed from our culture. And so the, the idea is that I'm putting more people and more support around key functions of our business to make sure that we can grow now to 60, 70, 80, 100 heads. Amazing. What What's the market like right now? Like Q1, mm. how have you found 2023? Um, I think Q4 was tough for us. I don't know if that's because we always seem to get the pain earlier than most. I know that yeah. tech was tough. Um, there's some headwinds, right? I think now we're tracking job flow. The job flow is increasing for us at the moment. I think Q1 was slightly sticky in terms of what was happening, but we had an okay quarter. Um, we're back onto the, the, the right level. I think Q2 is looking challenging weirdly, but I don't think April helped. I don't think all the bank holidays are helping. You know, for an employee, oh, yeah. I'm sure it's a brilliant period for an employer. Oh, we've said this, haven't we? Like, if you're in, the, <laughs> if you're working in a firm today and you've got the coronation coming up and yeah. blah, blah, you think it's fucking brilliant. If you're yeah. running a firm, you're like, oh, piss off. Because I, I've also gone to a four and a half day week, so everyone finishes it half day on a Friday. Yeah, yeah. It's three and a half. Like when you when you count in bank holidays, you're like, oh my god, it's literally. It's so it's sort of, but so 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 I think we'll we'll have a, an okay quarter in Q2. What we're seeing, if you just look at it from a job flow interview offer perspective, the market is increasing at the moment for us. Um hopefully that's a trend that will continues. You know, we were we were nervous definitely in, in, in Q4 around what would happen to the market. Um as I said, we've diversified. So our US business is really flourishing at the moment. Uh, Rick's doing a great job there in terms of growing that headcount. They don't seem to be as affected from an economy perspective. But but I, the plan was to diversify. I'm sure loads did. Try and have that global presence so that if you've got a tough time in the UK, hopefully the US will never 
be on the same sink as each other in terms of recessions and economy. Um, but I, I, I think probably this year is going to be a resettling year for us in terms of get our processes in, get our get the machine working properly for us, get the right heads in which we've done, right leaders, develop those leaders, and and then go on to our next step, as you call it, in, in terms of our growth journey. When they say cut the grass to go again, right? You got to yeah, I think so. It. So what, yeah. has it been a, a significant dip in revenue this quarter then compared to like where you were a year ago? Or so we're, we're probably back at eight, Hundred to million pound quarters in terms of, um, and that's probably about par for the course in terms of that's probably where it needs to be in terms of our headcount currently. I think we are just about to launch our academy. We've just relaunched our business strategy for this year, so we got everyone together in Q1. Um, we're very, very committed, especially in the markets we're working to be community centric. So I think for us. Uh, we're giving away 10% of our profit to, to charities that are local and, and mean something to us. We're making, I say making, they're pretty willing. The, the guys now have to commit a, a half a day a month to being out there in the community doing stuff. So you yeah. know, you've been in Manchester. Homelessness crisis is a big thing for us here. And our clients are well bang in the middle of that problem. Um, so we felt that that was the right thing to do. And then we're investing in them. So we're doing some work with James Doyle on his take a seat business to give people the opportunity to do personal and business coaching. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've done quite a lot around personal health. So we, we put PT on for the guys every week. It, it, we're just trying to start now thinking about how we can reinvest into people in our community that we're serving. As a recruitment organization, running payroll can be hard. Between pressure from worker volume and client demands, plus the compliance risks and time lost to manual process back office teams, it's all a struggle. To help Vincere, our sponsor, have teamed up with FastTrack to offer a seamless integration for recruitment and staffing organizations, enabling better workflow between the front and back office. This new integration automates time and pay interpretation with a built-in comprehensive rules engine that can interpret complex awards and agreements across Australia, New Zealand, and the UK. The results are startling. You can reduce admin in your organization by 85%. You can lower your per cost timesheet and get paid faster. So revolutionize your back office processes with the Vincere and Fast Track integration. Learn more at vincere.io forward slash rag. Right, let's get back into the show. I love it, mate. I love it. And where do you see you mentioned like 80 to 100 heads but like what are you trying to achieve so if you can give us the kind of headlines and things you want to want to go and get what, what what would you say yeah i think i think we've come to the point of no return as i always say so we we have now built our overhead and leadership team that can support a much bigger headcount than we're currently at so mm. it would be stupid of us to stay at 30 because if you look at that breakdown of 30 we've got five or six people that are non billing or non not even non-recruitment, like central functions. And so our ideal headcount with that current infrastructure is 50, I would say. Um, the market's there for it. We've got four or five pockets we can put people into, RPO, UK sales, USA, plus the public sector business. There's enough places to put headcount. It's just about finding the right headcount. And, and one thing that we've launched this year is we're going to do an academy because Manchester's quite saturated now. I'm sure London used to be. I think Manchester's the new London in terms of recruitment businesses. 
it's hard to get hold of really, really talented recruiters in this marketplace. Right. So I think you've got to recreate your own. And, and we've yeah. really invested. We've just brought on a training and performance manager to come and sit and do academies for us and to start to really create our own talent. You never see businesses get beyond that 30, no. 40 unless they do that, right? There's no way. Agreed. And actually, the people, you know, you've already got, like you say, you've got that foundational layer of leaders. You want that youthful, of course. You know, this is the way we do it, Anderson James heads to come and fill it now. So, you know, and you've got the right people around you. Um, obviously, you guys are, are on the academy again with us, which is amazing. And, you know, we're going to yeah, get yeah. you out there on LinkedIn. So it's all... It's all good, I think. It's really exciting. There's one thing you mentioned in the show that I want to wrap up with, right? You said, if I was going to do it again, I could get to where I am in two years. All right. So let's just finish with yep. high-level things you would do now. If you were starting Anderson James today, how what would what would you do differently? Don't need good the question. detail. High-level things you would do to get yep. to where you are in two years. Uh, I'd, I'd write a plan. You know, I'm conflicted on that. I think plans can sometimes change, but I, I would certainly have a better strategy, high level. I wouldn't go into all the detail I see in some of these business plans, but just a high level, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. I'd invest in marketing earlier, uh, definitely, because I didn't invest in marketing until five years in. Um, I would hire better people and make sure I was clear on what the right people look like for our business rather than, this guy will be all right. We can go to the pub with him and have a few pints and he'll be sound. I'd probably go into a bit more depth than that. Uh, and I would have picked a business partner more wisely, not because the guy's not the right person, just because we had different views on life. Um, and I certainly think with people, I see a business set up every day at the moment. You've just got to make sure you pick your partner right, whether that's the person that invests in you or the person you set up with. They've got to be the right person and you've got to be totally aligned on your business strategy but also personally on the philosophies of how you want to work your life outside of work because mm. running a recruitment running a recruitment business is one of the hardest things i've ever done uh it is fully encompassing never switch off constantly on it every minute of every day and you've got to sign up to that if you want it to be successful i think um but you've also got to try and find the balance on the other side of that for family and well that's exercise Moving into that then, as as a as a wrap up, like how are you? I mean, I see your Instagram. You you do travel. You get away. You do cool yeah, things. Yeah. What what is your kind of methodology to that now, in terms of trying to make sure it's not just all work and you do have time for family and yourself? Yeah, yeah. I think look, I'm rubbish at it. So you know, one of the reasons that I I seek external help is because I'm terrible at switching off. So. Uh, got ADHD I'm very 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 difficult to kind of not be doing something at all times I don't sit and chill and watch TV in an evening I'm very much active I've not prioritized health you know there's been a couple of people that I know recently in recruitment actually that have had some life-changing things happen to them from a health perspective and like Bartlett always says you know your health is the number one priority because without that business is irrelevant and so I need to do more um, I think, you know, people need to be aware of the fact that you never switch off the brain from your business if you run a business of this size. You've got to be prepared to go through that, I think, because um, when I'm on holidays, as you say, like I really prioritize holidays. I want to be aware, but I see it as just work in a different country, and that's probably not the right way to look at it, but it's just work with a better view. So I've got to get better at that because I've created leaders and still absolutely... 100% obsessed with AJ. 
95 percent of the time and when you go and see is it your daughter that you travel across yeah. so and you do that is it every friday or every thursday or whatever you do so every every other weekend and then once in the week as well right so you do so, a lot of, when you're with your daughter do you are you are you still on calls or how do you manage so this is the, so this is the problem like i was terrible when she was younger so when she was like four or five and i was just setting up aj she's she's 13 now so probably when she was six or seven I was on calls all the time. I pick her up from school, a client would ring. I'd be like, "God, I've got to answer that right now." There's no other time that it can happen, and it's terrible to look back and think about how how not present you were in that moment. The other thing is, is like you've got to accept it's a lonely place to be at times because clearly, I've got mates that text me just while we've been on this call. Mate, are you okay? Just because I've not checked in for like three months because I've been so head down trying to get some of these new processes in you can lose months and months and months of time not seeing your pals as well so i think making the appropriate time i look at my mates like a few years ago let's go back four or five years we're all living in london you know we're we're engaged getting married those kind of things but we're all within you know a couple of 10 miles of each other meeting up in the city once every couple of weeks and we had a few years before that i'm living in clapham we're (laughs) out every saturday night together whereas now you know, I'm in Sheffield, Amma's in the Cotswolds, the rest are dotted around like the home counties. When we meet up in June, which we've got a day at the cricket on the 8th of June, that'll be the first time this year we'd have seen each other. Wow, and yeah. We met, the last time was my wedding in October. So it's like, it's just become that. And we, I say, agree. You know, we, we try and say, right, lads, let's do something. And, and then you go, throw some dates into a WhatsApp. <laughs> and everyone's like, nope, 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 nope. And we're looking at like, June was booked in January. And now we'd have to look at like November probably for the next one. Agree, yeah. It's so hard. And you've got kids, you've got wives, you've got, you know, I've, I've got a lot. It, it, it is hard. I think, look, again, if I did it again, I would prioritise health and well-being like before the business because you get yourself caught up in it a little bit. And I think not being present, I, I, I listened to, uh, I think it was Elliot that you had on the podcast, and he's great at this stuff. He runs a massive business and s- somehow finds a way of doing that. Have you ever met Elliot? But it, no, no, but it, it was it nice was to that. know that going back exactly. 10 years ago, he was like what I am probably today. He's so like he's found him. He's about six foot three. He's a machine. He's like the musliest ripped machine. <laughs> is he really? He his hand and he like crushes it, and you're like, oh my God, I feel so insignificant. <laughs> he is literally like a beast of a human, like when you meet him. Yeah. Um, and you think to yourself, bloody hell. Um, do you know what though? What what he said, I think. I mean, I I I wish I I reckon I could get way healthier and way fitter and stuff. But I do think living remotely and working remotely as I do, yeah. I think it, that's the one thing I still feel like I get more. I get like even now, you know, we're recording this. It's late morning in an hour. I'm going to go and cook some in my own kitchen to eat. I'm going to take the dog it's for perfect. a walk. I'm, whereas when I was in an office, you're always sidetracked by someone, something. You got the, the neon lights of all the shops to eat in. It, especially somewhere yeah. like Manchester, London. It, I find it's really for someone like me who's probably like you that it's pretty easy to be swayed into doing something. Oh, easily. And oh. I think I think when you listen to people like that, you realise that you know he said something about being present and giving your absolute all in every meeting. I sit in some meetings and I'm glazed over. I'm just like I've I've been here for twelve hours now. I'm giving you nothing other than just sitting. And so I think I think you get to kind of like your last meeting of the day and you just not you've nothing left to give someone. And so I do think like a, a few times this last three or four months, I thought you've got to prioritize. You've just got to find the time, put it in your diary, commit to it. And, and, and you know, he said six hours of really good work yeah. is better than 10 hours of average work and i think i'm trying to kind of follow that methodology myself and it's it's only a, since that interview that you know it's, a, it's early days but i'm trying i'm trying I, I'm, like, I'm like you i can be on calls 
like I try now to put my phone on flight mode and move it away when I'm on a Zoom so that I'm yeah. genuinely in that moment. Yeah, Whereas same. If your phone's in your hand, you're looking down, you, you, you're not there. It's, it's not good enough. And, and the person can feel it. Um, James, we ran out of time. I could, I could talk to you all day about this stuff. Obviously, um, I am delighted to get you on the show finally. It's not been a personal thing. I've actually enjoyed, you know, watching your journey. And I'm really, <laughs> now I feel like I've learned a lot more about it. Um, if anyone... You know, the drill, if anyone does want to reach out, if anyone's interested in just picking your brains on where you're going, especially since you've been doing a lot in the US and RPO, you're all, if I, if, you know, if you message you on LinkedIn, you're all Absolutely. Good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wicked. Well, look, we'll definitely get you back on again for a part two in the future. I wish you all the best of luck, mate. You know that. And um, yeah, go get it. Thanks, mate. Cheers, pal. Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2000 recruiters right now both managing the brands, producing content, building written, video, podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level, individual recruiters in your businesses, how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn. I would love to talk to you. I'll see you soon.